Bosco. What's up, Zach? That was a interesting hello there. <laughs> I don't know. You I'm testing the... out your radio DJ voice? Coming to you live from the shed. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, I figured I might as well try some try some different voices, you mm-hmm. know. You feel me? Well, I think it's been working out so far. Yeah. I like the little intros that you have yeah, for your My segment, little intros, but... okay. Um, so, uh... So, so how you doing, man? Not bad. I was going to tell you, um, last night I was uh, drinking a little bit of wine, and I wanted the, I was looking for a particular movie, and uh, I went to my Hulu account. Mm. I don't use my Hulu account very often, um, but it's like tied to my Spotify, so I went and checked it out, and I was like looking at my... And I wanted to re-change um, my... I wanted to update my email, so I went to it, and I updated my email, and then it was like, hey, would you want to sign out of all devices? And then, like, I looked at it, and it said there was 25 devices. Freeloaders. <laughs> hooked up to my Hulu account. Well, I know of, like, two, my computer and my Xbox, and then my sister has two of my sisters each use it, plus m- my family's TV, so that's about five, six all right, that all, I could think of all these other that I've five. given it to, yeah. So it's, it's about 20 unaccounted for devices. I assumed my sisters, because I gave... I gave them the password. I assumed that they were signing on, like, when they go out somewhere or go at right. their friends. Be like, I got Hulu. Here you yeah. go. Give them my login yeah. info, my yeah. secret password. Well, well look at <laughs> but you. I, I purged them all, and I, I felt so powerful doing it. Yeah, look at you, little tyrant. <laughs> I was like, enough. W- no more of a welfare state. No Hulu welfare state. No, no, no Hulu for all. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I, f- I felt like the the baron of Hulu. Just Speaking enough. of which, have you have you heard about all the all the like um, the uh, protesting for Medicare for all that's going across the U.S. right now? There's a little bunch of uh, uh, like you know. Uh, marches and shit like really? that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't hear about and them. I also heard of a general strike in October. Mm. Um, for you know, basically general like, labor strike. Yeah, yeah, general labor. Well, strike. you know, like in the beginning of May, there's May Day, which right. is supposed to be like a general labor strike. Right. Okay. You know, I don't. I didn't even know about that until I was going to school at UCSC, May and there Day. were like big. Like, that was a big thing there. There was, like, signs everywhere. And I'm like, wait, this is a actual thing. Like, I looked into it, and it was, like, an actual thing. Mayday. Mm-hmm. General labor strike on. Mayday, mayday. We're going down, brother. All right, you uh, want to do some addendum? Right, an addendum. 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 Let's addendum. Do some addendums. All right, to, so. to the Olympic Village story. Yeah, so, so at first, I also thought that um we mentioned that there was um cardboard beds cardboard that were beds. supposed to, it was it was posted online as being like oh it was Anti- obviously misrepresented it right was, they were billed as like anti you know sex you know yeah so two people couldn't cohabitate right the same bed people were having sex but it, it seems like really what it was was just like a cheap way of setting up a lot of beds yeah, really quick. Yeah. And there was like, you know, other videos posted online of the People athletes like who were jumping, actually there. Yeah, they were yeah. like jumping on them and they were like, yep, yeah, no, it's not They seem pretty sturdy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that might have just been misrepresented by whoever got the photo. You know how news is, 
you know, stuff online and news yeah. is like, you know, rumors start easily. And then once, you know, once it's out, you know, it's hard to like, it's hard to put that back in the bottle. <laughs> yeah. Again. So, so yeah, we were wrong. Um, don't believe that fake news, fake, fake news. news. All right. Um, okay. Um, we'll give a little bit of an, of a, uh, update on the crypt phase cryptocurrency scam. Yeah. Uh, Co- uh coffeezilla, the investigator on YouTube, uh, Posted what he claims is the final Heil Coffeezilla, <laughs> the the final chapter in this story, in which yeah. he did some a little bit more investigating after receiving the cease and desist. Yeah, and it looks like that this character Sam Pepper, who originally started as a prank YouTuber, the worst yeah. of the worst yeah, kind and, of YouTuber. And apparently, like um, I was um, I was actually watching the replay of it on uh, Hassan's stream today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, apparently that guy, Sam Pepper was like, he did like a lot of those like shitty, like fake pranks and shit like that on Mm. YouTube that used to be super popular Mm. and, uh, actually like sexually assaulted some people. So yeah, 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 I I remember hearing about that a long time ago and I hadn't heard of Sam Pepper since then until this story. Yeah. He's been doing his, and his pranks were like, Oh pranking girls by kissing going up and kissing them like so weird (laughs) so cringy uh, (laughs) yeah but self-report it seems like he was trying to reach out to coffeezilla to like clear his name but he seemed to kind of be full of shit and what he was saying he seemed to be very and he's since fled the country and he's back in the uk he sold his uh tesla yeah um yeah and but uh, he's claiming innocence they're all still claiming him innocence but it seems like the masterminds it seems like phase the brand itself the organization had nothing, yeah. it had nothing to do it was or at more, least wasn't aware of it and yeah, it was it more was, between it was sorry go on it was more between uh uh phase k sam pepper and a manager of some kind yeah that yeah, kind of talent orchestrated manager, yeah. this and um I'm sure any future updates on this might be like legal proceedings, but right now, it, I think I think that's about our. our yeah, done, about it, it. it seems like the story's kind of reached a little bit of a conclusion, but you know, um, anything else I could see, like I said, would be any legal proceedings, a yeah. result of legal proceedings yeah. in regards Someone to that. Someone going but, behind behind bars. Yeah, you, you know what was funny when I was listening to this? You mentioned to me that on a YouTube video we received our first piece of hate mail in regards uh, to cryptocurrency, yeah, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, Someone some, was mad some about bot, what? <laughs> some, it was a, probably a bot. Some, a, it was like it, it, it seemed like some of like a bot message mm-hmm. about like crypto. It's like follow me on my Discord. It's oh, really? It just picked up that we had crypto in the. Title. Oh, I thought you said it was like hate mail or no, something. No, that's what I first thought it was, but it was no. It was just like oh, a bot you tell me we didn't get any hate mail. No, well, we can still. Look, it's it's still on YouTube, so we'll, we're waiting for the hate mail. I'll write ourselves hate mail. I'll go on on my on my alt you account. Don't say that Fuck on the guys. mic, dude. You no, know, you're supposed to save that for the illusion. <laughs> these right. guys are. The worst. So uh, they don't know anything about crypto. <laughs> they don't know shit. Um, all, all right. right. Well, you want to get into the first? Let's get first into the piece of news. To the stories. This well, week. Uh, this is gonna be uh, this is gonna be my corporate slam piece. Corporate slam pants slam and slam piece. Yeah. All right. Slam those corporations. Slam piece. Shut the door on them. Shut the door on them in their face. Padlock it. Padlock it. Lock them up in the <laughs> top of the prison. <laughs> Below the prison. Right? That's what they say? I don't know. All right. So there's a Disney <laughs> class action. So there's a Disney class action lawsuit. Um, 
Yeah, I figured I figured I'd shift my attentions away from Jeff Bezos and Amazon because I feel like I've been mm. covering just a lot of that, you know. So I mm. wanted to we'll we'll tackle another huge multi. We'll go for one of the other four horsemen of yeah. the corporate apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got Amazon. You got you got you got Disney. Google, Google, I mean, who, and who, Apple. Apple, yeah. Did you call headed, Apple? Headed, of course. By, I was gonna say Nestle. Yeah, Nestle's <laughs> pretty bad, especially with what they do, like stealing people's water and then just straight up bottling it. Yeah, they're one of the worst companies. Um, there's, there's so many. There's so many. There's so many. You're going after Disney this week. Going after Disney this week. So, um, uh, I, I, I was brought to this again. I, I highly recommend all of you to follow More Perfect Union on YouTube. They post a lot of really good videos about current labor movements. Uh, one that I'll be covering next week, which is a huge uh, coal miner strike in Alabama, I believe. Mm. Have you heard about that? Uh, it's huge. It's it's like it's it's pretty pretty damn big. Um, mm. So uh, I get a lot of information from there. So uh, if you're curious, there are short videos. They talk about current labor movements. There's an update to the Frito-Lay story where a man got shocked. and uh, uh, To the Frito-Lay warehouse you're talking about? Yes, the Frito-Lay warehouse story I covered a couple weeks ago. Terrible working conditions. A man was, uh, he was shocked uh, while operating some door. Um, they took him to the hospital 45 minutes away passing four other hospitals because they had a contract with a specific hospital hmm. he goes into the hospital basically the doctor says oh yeah you're completely fine the next day he's like having trouble getting up he was forced to come into work they didn't fucking give a shit damn and then um apparently the guy ended up uh you know it's so facto he had to take some sick time off because the company wouldn't just give him time off and uh he ended up getting a serious liver disease that was uh that's uh, linked to being electrocuted wow yeah so uh terrible terrible scumbag company again boycott frito-lay i'm doing uh, they're also owned by pepsico so stay away from those products if you can if I you can give a stay shit away from pepsi yeah i mean it's not that hard <laughs> fuck pepsi but I think I think Mountain you know Dew's what I was Pepsi I was Zach. thinking about this as we were driving out to Yosemite this past weekend. Right after you get through the Altamont Pass, there's yeah. tons of warehouses out there. This was a scorching hot right. day too. Thankfully, we're in the air conditioned car. But I was looking at those warehouses right there, baking in the sun. And I was thinking about what you were talking about, and I was like, man, if there's no air conditioning in those warehouses, that must be hell to be in there working. Yeah, and this guy got fucking electrocuted, dude. My fucking God. You know, where's the decency, damn it? You know, is just what I fucking think, but whatever. You know, I'm just a stupid lib. Anyway, um, so... <laughs> stupid lib. Stupid lib. At least that's what my dad says. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so Disney has a class action lawsuit. So look, I'm gonna reiterate, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Okay, <laughs> I just um, I'm try I tried to to wrap my head around this this because it's it's a little a little bit complicated, um, but basically, um, their Disneyland employees are claim. Disneyland employees are claiming that they uh, don't earn a living wage and um, that after um, 
Oh yeah, sorry. It took a year and a half for this court to be decided to be allowed in the Orange County Superior Court to certify as a class action lawsuit. It took hmm. about a year and a half. It was filed in 2019. So, hmm. damn, long time. I mean, yeah, that's so, just things things big things like that take a minute to get rolling in okay court. so so five uh, resort workers alleged that disney violated measure l which requires anaheim resort businesses that receive tax subsidies need to empl- uh, pay employees a living wage first it was 15 an hour now it's 17 right and uh and it was like increasing a dollar it's still not enough but it's it's a start it's a it's a start of a good pol it's a i think that's a good policy yeah. you- especially because this this disneyland's receiving taxpayer money right so it's like how they say socialism for no companies. It's, it's 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 a socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for the poor that's not the one i was looking for oh, well it? it well it's not as necessarily an expression but people have been saying that a lot of companies that rally against socialism receive the yeah, benefits, yeah that's not necessarily totally- of socialism but they receive ta- receive tax yeah, benefits they like get- subsidies is ob- the most obvious one yeah it totally um so many of their workers are employed by Disney. Um, others work for uh, contractors such as Sedexco and Sedexo Magic, um, which operates in restaurants and cafes all over the park. Um, mm-hmm. So they, in 1997, Disney received $510 million in resort bonds, which helped build um, a parking garage mm-hmm. uh, in 1997. Uh, so, uh, okay. Yeah. Here, sorry. Here's the specifics of measure L. So $15 minimum at least raises by $1 a year until 2022 when it reaches 18. After that, it's based off of a cost of living index, right? So it keeps getting updated. Um, uh, the lawsuit claims that Anaheim is using tax dollars to pay off construction bonds for this parking garage, right? So um, Disney keeps the revenue from the garage and it will own, own it soon once the construction bonds are paid off, right? Uh-huh. Um, apparently they were they were they had to pay about like a dollar per you know parking pass or whatever. Um, you know, but eighty five percent of workers at Disneyland made below $15 an hour. Uh, so the, the Whoa, big, are we talking like the actors that do the performances or the people that are like all staff of uh, just all the, all the, they're called cast members, all mm. the cast members at Disneyland. Mm, that uh, includes like g- custodians and, uh, right. your waiters at right. the restaurants. So 85% cooks. of union workers made below $15 minimum wage. 85%. Yep. <laughs> at yep. Disneyland. At Disneyland. And Disneyland drops billions to buy Star Wars right. and Marvel. Oh, trust me. I'll tell you why, why <laughs> it's more insidious later. Uh, got info from an uh, ex-Disney employee. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> this will be good. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know, there. Uh, so the, the, the big question here is, do Anaheim taxpayers subsidize Disney? That's the big question here, right? Because if they, because if if they if if it's found that they do in court, that means that Disney needs to be paying their employees more, mm-hmm. right? So 
Um, but the thing is, is that there are plenty of stories of people living in cars working at Disney, hmm. like legitimately. Like, so it's not clear whether or not Disney is actually taking subsidies from the city for Disneyland. I'll, I'll get, I'll get into because it, it would make sense if they did. Because at first, as you're telling me about this, I'm like, why is Disneyland getting subsidized? And then I'm like, well, I guess it makes sense for like bringing tourism into the city and what. I guess it's a benefit right. for the city. I think, I think, I think what what the uh, the lawsuit is is that Anaheim and Disney are in cahoots mm-hmm. and that you know that they're using taxpayer dollars mm. to help pay off the that city bond. of Anaheim yes. the government there. right so um let's let's go into a little bit about what happened during that thing that happened last year you know that thing the thing that lasted no that started in March no idea what you're talking about right yeah you don't, you don't know uh-uh you know the thing I'd have no idea you know the the pandemic. I'm living under a rock. <laughs> I just got off. I just got back from a private island. Oh, okay. Funded by oh, Disney. You know, you're like you're like. Uh, remember remember that story like early in the pandemic where Jared Leto was on an island and he came <laughs> back and he had no idea what was going on. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening? He was on a private I at some retreat, like, you know, I was getting all zen and <laughs> I came out and I'm like, What's happening? <laughs> um, so okay, so um a lot of workers they laid off twenty eight thousand workers because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um and uh they also Disney also got half a billion dollars in taxpayer aid during the pandemic through the cares act hmm. um and you know ideally that 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 money would be used to you know keep workers on payroll you know help that but of course not of course shouldn't they just be able to keep themselves afloat through their disney plus streaming service that's what i'm saying dude, especially during like, the pandemic where everybody's locked in and those streaming services all got a big just boom. pay them and then you'll gain you'll you won't look like fucking insane people like i i don't want to throw around the term nazis but the from what i've heard how people how workers were treated there it's nazi-ish hakuna matata (laughs) so uh so Disney tricked workers in April that were laid off by offering them similar similar roles at lower pay and fewer hours with no benefits. Mm. So workers who signed on new deals were tricked and they gave up their seniority all because a lot of these workers had to come back in and there were people who've been working there 15, 20 years. And they came back and they were making the same as someone who just started that day. Damn. Yeah. Wow. Fucked up, right? <laughs> um, That's unfortunate. And so, um, also, uh, kind of a shitty mood. Uh, they're filling roles with subcontractors instead of original staff to replace certain staff that were maybe handy, uh, disabled or, you know, staff that they wanted to get rid of. So, yeah, they used the pandemic to get rid of these certain workers, basically. Mm. Um, and also, um, you know, not have to pay people at their seniority rate. Uh, they cut a third of the custodial staff during a time when the place needed to be sanitized more than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, right now they're negotiating a contract, right, uh, alongside this. Um, with who? Who they're negotiating contract with, with? With Disney, the worker, the union oh, okay. and Disney. Oh, the um, but uh, 
you know, uh, I, I just, I just, Disney feels like it's like the biggest, one of the biggest companies in the world, right? I would definitely Me- assume they are. They could drop billions of dollars right. to buy perhaps the most valuable IP that exists, Star Wars. Right. You know. Just- and then Marvel, look what they did with fucking Marvel and all this shit. And you're like, you figure that they must have enough money. But the Disneyland, the so-called happiest place on earth, family friendly, family friendly place, is is built on fucking misery. <laughs> so let me go into a little bit of it's what, all a fairy tale. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of which, let me go into what it's like being a worker there. Okay. So I talked to my friend uh, uh, on Call of Duty. Okay. Uh, we're, and, we're the greatest conversations. <laughs> yeah, we're great conversations online happen. through Call online. of Duty. So I took some notes of some of the things he told me. Um, mm-hmm. So um, when oh Disney did like I said before Disneyland uh, like the people who work certain attractions they're called attractions not rides there. Mm-hmm. Um, except the only one is Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. That that's the, that was like one of the corny jokes he said he heard a lot. It was like, "Oh, the only ride at Disneyland is Mr. Toad's Wild Ride." Stupid. My joke. favorite. It's a good one. It's weird. I've never been on it. It's I'm weird. Just no, it's a weird one. It's is a weird it? one. He like goes to hell. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's a weird one. It's one of the weird older Disney rides there. Um so when an when someone's working at a certain place like in front of people, they're considered on stage. Mhm. Well, and so to maintain this illusion that, you know, Disney uh, thinks they need, uh, you know, for the kids, there's no drinking water while on stage. They're not allowed to drink water mm-hmm. in fucking Los Angeles heat <laughs> on stage uh, because, uh, you know, it ruins the illusion. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, apparently, I think that rule has changed somewhat. Um, but at the time that my friend was working about two years ago, that was the case. Hmm. Um, so they, people had to be bumped out in order to, you know, drink water. Crazy. Um, so like, if you're like a character, like, let's say you're being Snow White. No, Snow no. White can't have a drink of water. But that are, that no. applies to everybody it across applies to the everybody. board? Even, Even like, like the rides operators? That's exactly what uh-huh. I'm talking about, dude. So like certain rides operators have to wear like, um, you know, like, you know, the Tower of Terror ride? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Tower of Terror ride. <laughs> Apparently, it's one of the more uh, pop popular. Well, now it's now it's uh, the like Guardians of the Galaxy ride. Um, but I liked it better when it was the Twilight Zone because you know, I, you know me personally, I love the Twilight Zone. The like, Tower of Terror. Yeah, it was I a- thought it was based off of like the Disney movie with uh man, what's that? Eddie Murphy, like the no, Haunted that's the, Mansion. No, that's the Haunted Mansion. Ride. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, the uh, the Tower of Terror before it became the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy ride was mm. uh, based off of the Twilight Zone. Really? Yeah, yeah. That was actually the first time I learned about the How Twilight Zone. How is it based Zone. off the Twilight Zone? It's owned by, <laughs> Twilight Zone's owned by CBS. I don't know, dude. I don't know. It's, yeah. I'm just telling you. That's okay, what it was originally okay. based on. But... In there, they would they used to have to wear like these big like think of like old school um uh bellhops and shit like that yeah like, like a elevator operator yeah and these hot <laughs> ass outfits they had to be in right they like because they had to be specific to not break the kayfabe as we like to yeah you know, as we like to call <laughs> the kayfabe. 
Is uh, it air conditioned in the Tower of Terror? <laughs> um, some areas are, some areas aren't. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. A lot, and think about the people that have to work outside, too. My buddy said that he worked at the uh, Radiator Springs, which is like the Cars Land. And, uh, <laughs> and he's like, that was the best area to work because he was able to wear shorts. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you luck out based on your assignment. Um, so uh, where I started started finding interesting when, it was when he started talking about like personal people, their personal groom grooming. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, hairstyle, hair color was all controlled. Right. There was a lot of very strict rules. Right. They, you know, I think hair couldn't go past the ears. I think was uh, for guys and yeah. then for women. Uh, already, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's, there was um, tattoos couldn't be visible. Forced to wear long sleeves to cover up tattoos. Uh, I'm out too there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. I, so far, I haven't checked any box. <laughs> uh, nail color had to be complementary to skin. Uh, approved facial length uh, couldn't be longer than a quarter, quarter inch. Yeah, facial hair. Mm. Um facial hair uh couldn't be more than a quarter inch you're out and and if you didn't have if you had a mustache and a uh and uh you know like a goatee a goatee if it didn't connect then you had to then you can only wear the mustache uh, you're out yeah i'm out <laughs> um so uh Man, disneyland six, you had a right six here. o'clock shadow you had to go and shave it's my favorite type of um hair shadow. color Nothing, no crazy, you know, no like, reds, yeah, no like bright reds or yeah, pinks or, or pinks blues or blue. Purples. Has to be like natural, yeah. Um, I so you're sent home for the day if it's not fixable. If you have something that's not fixable, yeah. he said he knew girls who worked there who had like a bunch of wigs and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Uh, so um, apparently it was hard to get fired. You know, apparently there's like a point system where, uh, so you get a one and a half points for being late, three points for a call out, and a no call, no show is six oh, points. I've had a job that's done something yeah, similar. I yeah, hate that shit. Yeah. I'm like, who the fucking ticky tack bullshit? Like, yeah. get out of my face. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so just, you know, that's the, some of the things he told me about. Uh, I just found it so like, you know, and researching the study and then hearing about like what it's like to be a, I'm like, Fuck and one of the more insidious things that he said um was that Disneyland gives a lot of its employees uh like uh sign-ins to bring people in for free, right? But but think about it what it's like for the company. It's like, oh, you know, maybe and and it couldn't be peak days. So think about it. Peak non-peak days where uh you know maybe the park isn't as full you have your employees who get people to bring them in for free and then they spend money it's mm. just it's like it's it's like kind of like oh it's a perk but in really it's like an insidious way to get more money yeah you know um also uh, a lot of employees you know um spent their money at Disneyland which I found really hmm. gross. You know? I mean, yeah, because it makes sense to me because you're like there and like, let's say you want to, you take lunch. Right. You and you go to food. Star Wars land and yeah, you see, you're, uh, buying, uh, you're buying food there. Yeah. If you're taking lunch there, you, you're all around. Like, the, I mean, the point of Disneyland is to push products. Yeah. You know? So, you know, you take breaks, whatever, you're walking around, you see stuff that looks cool, you buy it as an employee there, right. you spend all your time there. Obviously, the the gas that they pump in the Disneyland that encourages you to be happy and buy things has an effect on you. So, I'm not surprised by that at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's just... Uh, 
it's just, you know, it seems that, you know, the place that's called the happiest place on earth to, to really, you know, leave is quite miserable. Is quite for miserable. Employees. For employees. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it, it's just like, it's like, you know, it seems like, you know, like, like how I say with Amazon and with Disney, it seems like in order to get like this, you know, with Amazon have it being overnight shipping or Disney being like, oh, you're in this magical kingdom that it has to come at the, at the cost of other people's, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. at the cost of people's, you know, health and well-being. Yeah. And, you know, and the fact that I was learning that there was a lot of people living in fucking cars, that's absolutely crazy. The employees. The employees. Like in the parking lot? Just yes. Sleeping in their car. Yes. Getting up in the morning. That's crazy. Time to go service the great yeah. mouse master. Oh, <laughs> give me your blood. Oh. <laughs> but, yeah, so... uh you know, keep that in mind. Um, you know, Dis- I've only been to Disneyland once in my life, and I was like maybe ten years old at the time. Yeah, it was all right. I wasn't like I'm, I've never been super into Disney stuff ever since I was young. Disney, especially the older stuff, newer stuff. The older stuff so was kind of was kind of like cool. It had oh, the of- older movies I'm talking about, like yeah, the yeah. fairy tale movies. Yeah, they gave me the heebie-jeebies as a kid. They were kind of they creepy, creeped me out, that, and yeah. so like I was like very much not into Disney growing up, and still to this day. Like, there's not a lot of Disney products. I've gotten you some like, to watch some of the Marvel stuff. and I mean, Marvel Marvel and Star Wars is one. That, I mean, they got me there, but that's both stuff that they bought. Right. You know, on, on the Marvel Star Wars. You're talking Wars about their original IP. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the fairy tale stuff and, yeah. like, their old, like animated films like creeped me the hell out so i was like well, never... you know, it was full of a lot of racism too oh you <laughs> ever hear about like there's always that old theory that they were filled with like subliminal messages yeah it was like... just because <laughs> disney animators were bored and yeah. they, probably they drew just... like a little tiny dick, dick. into like a <laughs> castle wall <laughs> yes yeah, so... in aladdin or something so i i i think it's good that there's that these workers at least have a union so at least there's something fighting on their behalf. Yeah, I hope this class- an advocate against right. the giant mega corp. And is- and I think I think this is a good example of why unions need to exist. They need to exist because they're the only thing that can fight against these huge mega corporations. The Disney is one of the biggest corporations on earth. Yet they're trying to do, you know do some uh, footwork to try and avoid paying their workers a fair wage. You know, and then then there is the okie doke that they pulled on people who were laid off because of a pandemic that wasn't even their fucking fault. And then, uh, you know, and then they come back and then they're they're paid at the same rate as someone who just stayed there, even if they had been working there for 20 years. That's absolutely fucking disgusting. Mm. And it's disgusting that, you know, corporations like these, you know, just get away with shit like that. Yeah, you know, unless I mean, like, even when it comes to light and stories like this, you know, I they aren't like this isn't a story that's like super covered. I haven't heard about. Yeah, no, this. it's not, it's not covered. It's you hardly know, covered. And a lot of times these stories also fall out of even if they are covered and in the news, they fall out of like the public eye like fairly quickly. You know, right. and really, it is like you said, it's left on employees. It's left for up to the employees to form unions and advocate for themselves, you know, and when you see and have the city, the local government that's supposed to be there working for their local community, they're watching out for its citizens, you know, they need to play a role in in making sure that the biggest employer and the biggest source of income and tourism to their city 
is treating the people that work for them in a proper manner and making Agreed. sure that they're being taken care of rather than taken advantage of. Right. You know, so I have a, I have a story about um, a Disneyland. Um, so I heard this one from somebody who heard it from somebody type deal. It was a very secondhand story. Hey, I heard it from a guy who knew a guy. Right? Yeah, exactly. About it, right? So I don't know how true this one is, but the story goes in order to maintain kayfabe. So, you know, in Disneyland, you know, the people that are playing the characters around the grounds, um, in order to maintain kayfabe, they're like never, ever allowed to break character. Should we explain what kayfabe is? Okay, go go ahead real quick. So like kayfabe is a wrestling term yeah. and it's it's about like maintaining like the the gimmick, the charade, yeah, the illusion of, of like the performance. Right, you know? right, right. It's like about not um breaking the illusion that it is real. Yeah. Okay, go on. Um so like I said in order to maintain kayfabe, you you're never allowed to break character and that goes as far as like even when you're walking to or from like your break room, you're supposed to be in character. Cause if like a little Billy or Susie runs up and she's like, Oh, it's goofy. It's goofy. You're supposed to be like, Ooh. even though you're going on break, you know, <laughs> even though you're going on break and it gets apparently pretty extreme with that. And so the story that I heard was that <clears throat> someone was playing a character that was like a very heavy costume. I'm going to just go with goofy. I don't know which one it was, but goofy sounds right. And, um, you know, the goofy character has this big head on him. And I guess while he was, you know, out there playing, you know, whatever goofy does with kids, <laughs> playing with his balls, <laughs> um, somehow like this guy like was thrown off balance. Uh, you know, he was trying to avoid a kid and he tripped up and he fell into a puddle of like, a, like it was water that was meant to be out there, shallow little like fountain. And he falls in and immediately his reaction is to remove his mask. But then he remembers, like, remove the head. And then he remembers, you. that is, like, a big, big no-no. <laughs> big no-no. Even in the most extreme of circumstances, like, if a fire was happening at Disneyland, they're supposed to remain in character. <laughs> they're I swear to out in their fucking yeah, big-ass like, pretending to be goofy, like, that's <laughs> a big fire there. Let's all die. So, apparently he fell in. And, like, hesitated to take the head off because of this extreme uh, rule about never breaking character and never removing the costume until you're absolutely in private. And I guess the head started to fill with water. And the guy began to choke on the water. What yeah. The fuck? And began to choke on the water and, and was like freaking out and was like, uh, no right way. at the last moment, where he's like, I'm going to die if I don't take this. What's more important, my job here at Disneyland and maintaining <laughs> this illusion or drowning in a fucking goofy costume? And I guess like right at the last second, somebody helped him up and he wanted to take the mask off, the head off because it was still filled with water. But they were like, eh, just, just leave it on and let it drain out. And they like quickly took him back and like, oh, kids goofy had an accident <laughs> whoopsies clumsy, clumsy goofy and they like quickly took him back to the break room where he's like coughing up in in the suit coughing it up and crazy, uh, quickly dude. took him back to the break room and you know got it off of him and whatnot and apparently the 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 cherry on top to the story was when they sent out somebody else in the goofy costume back to that same location they gave him like a towel to pretend like he was all happy and drying off like oh, i just I took, took a, a shower yeah just took like like he was like oh just took a dip i'm drying yeah, off See, see, there's a uh, whole thing when, yeah. when you, you know, like uh, the fantasy um, 
<laughs> is taken that seriously yeah. um, that it almost comes at someone's expense and well-being. Yeah, That's someone's life. Up. You know, That's he was. Up. You know, again, like I said, I heard this through two people who've heard it, so I don't didn't get to ask questions directly right, to the person that occurred. It happened to, but like the person was in a situation where it was they were in a situation where they had to choose between their life and their Disney job. So, you yeah, know, so, fuck Disney, <laughs> fuck them. I guess fuck Disney. I've never liked Disney stuff, so but I'm okay fuck, with fuck that. Disneyland I have no plans yeah. to go to Disneyland or Disney World or watch really anything Disney. Bro, Any in the, the, so in there's, the there's people who are literally like disney weirdos disney fanatics yeah Dude, i've heard of like them. and they're fucking strange <laughs> there birds. was like some video that i saw um posted online where some guy was like i'm gonna try every water at every fountain in disneyland and he was like going around with oh, a cup yeah. Yeah, and like drinking it <laughs> yeah and he's like not good the fountain outside space world not good <laughs> <laughs> um so all right you want to get into the other story all right so to hell with disney to hell with it's disney. creepy yeah <laughs> It's a world. Oh, we're gonna get we're gonna get some hate. If anything's gonna bring us hate mail, it's gonna be the Disney fanatics coming down on us. It's a world (laughs) of joy and a world of cheer. (laughs) I just I just think about if you and if there's anywhere that's a portal to hell, it's in the it's a small world ride. If you just think about, you know, it's funny. I just pictured like you know the Disney horror movie, and it's just it's a small world played all Mm -hmm. slow, like you know how like a more modern horror stories always do. Where they take like a popular song and they play it all slow, like it's, <laughs> with you know, like, like a little like chime behind yeah, it. Ding, ding. Like I think uh, for us, it was Jordan Peele. He used uh, "I Got Five on it, but he oh, did it yeah. with like ding. That one was kind of cool. <laughs> I got five on it. Yeah, that one was cool though. Um, so uh, <laughs> man, we're Let's off on tangents, man. <laughs> all right, so I wanted to talk about first off. Let's just mention this fact. BuzzFeed does good reporting. <laughs> I had no idea. Not you, BuzzFeed. You're fake news. <laughs> You're fake news, BuzzFeed. You remember when Trump said that? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, <laughs> he's like, well, he's like fielding questions. He's like, not you, BuzzFeed. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, uh, I was really like, I had heard that they did like reporting, but I didn't know how seriously I took it. To be honest, um, you know, I know BuzzFeed more so just from like the listicles that they would make and you know, stupid shit like that and. Um, apparently they won a Pulitzer Prize last year from their cover of like uh, the Chinese Uyghur situation. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I, I yeah, for a while well, I always just thought of them as kind of like a successor to Cracked. You know, Cracked used to do all their lists. R.I.P. Cracked, gone down, forgotten. But <laughs> you know, I saw them as a successor. But yeah, I've I've heard that they are they do do reporting. So, so uh, what they did was apparently like in 2011 they hired um one uh someone who was a Pulitzer Prize winner at ProPublica. Um, and, uh, they, he headed up their like investigative journalism, um, which I think is cool. Yeah. Right on. Um, so one thing that got, uh, was a big, uh, undertaking a huge story. Um, do you remember back in October of last year, um, when the restrictions were, uh, were pretty heavy, um, That there was the kidnapping. The COVID lockdowns. The COVID lockdowns. There was the kidnapping of the governor, uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Well, she wasn't actually kidnapped. Right, right. The attempt. The alleged. The alleged attempt. Conspiracy theory to kidnap. Conspiracy to kidnap the governor. So, um, 
it's super interesting. And I just want to make this caveat before we go on in this story. Um, I think I can speak on your behalf that most of the guys who got caught up in this, in this, uh, you know, kind of, you know, entrapment situation. I, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I feel that this is an entrapment situation. Okay. Um, they're still terrible people. They're still not good people. They were, you know, they, uh, they, you know, repeatedly in these groups. What are they, white nationalists? Not so much. They're more so anti-government. Okay. They're, but, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure if you really, if you really prodded that, I'm sure some white nationalist shit would come out. Um, but, um, I don't know if I'm going to say they're terrible people, but there's some nuts. They're there's kooks. some nuts. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so they were, um, back, back last year, they were going to kidnap governor, uh, Gretchen Whitmer because Michigan, of the, Michigan governor, correct? Michigan. Yes. Okay. Um, because of the frustrations with lockdowns, cause apparently in Michigan was where some of the most strict lockdown per, uh, um, measures were because of their high COVID rate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but here's the thing. Turns out that there was a lot of informants and undercover, um, FBI, um, involved in this. Right. And, you know, that's to be expected in any, you know, any major investigation, but there was, yeah, well, you know, the FBI and, Government agents infiltrate and monitor any groups they consider to be extremists, like right. um, the NSA or whoever. I'm not sure. There's a federal agency that monitors 4chan and other various chans, and government agents have been known to um, put themselves by disguise or you know sneak into various leftist organizations or anarchist that, um, groups. Anarchist that, groups. That, have, that movie. Um, that movie. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah Ma'am. is about the assassination of Fred Hampton by uh, 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 FBI informant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who is the leader of the Black Panther Party. Yeah, right. and you remember when we watched the trial of Chicago yeah. 7, they were outed by an informant who had infiltrated their, their right. ranks. So it's a popular technique yeah. by, by these... Um, by these organizations. I had once seen on the internet, this was several years ago, it was like a Tinder profile of a guy and it was in Brazil and it was a post and it was like people in the Brazil underground warning about, cause the guy was using Tinder or whatever to connect with like-minded leftists. And it was, uh, someone had screenshotted it and be like, that sounds like big. Yeah. And be like, be lo- on the lookout for this guy. He's a known, um, informant, for the Brazilian government who's trying to infiltrate underground leftist groups. Yeah, and the Brazilian government is known to be very authoritarian at yeah. times. <laughs> Especially under, what, what's the guy's name Bolsonaro. Was it? Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro, yeah, that's it. Um, So, there was an Iraq war vet who had been wearing a wire. Mm-hmm. Um we'll get into him a little bit later. I'm just, I'm just setting the stage for you. Cause okay. there's a lot of, there's a lot of characters here. I didn't oh, write tell me down... a little bit more about this group. Like they're, they're a militia. Yeah. They're a militia yeah, yeah. Group? So, so let me anti-government know. militia group. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. They were the Michigan Wolverines. I think they were called. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so, um, there was, uh, there was a biker who was also an informant. Mm-hmm. There was a guy who advised him where to put explosives and where they can get them as much as they need, who was also an undercover FBI agent. There was also another FBI uh, undercover agent named Mark. 
<laughs> um, this group sounds like it's more FBI agents than actual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, three weeks later, there were a dozen arrested. Um, touted it as an example of law enforcement agencies working together to make sure violent extremists would never succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, these guys were tied to the Boogaloo Boys. They were looking, that the second Civil War? Yeah, the, the Civil War II <laughs> electric Jesus boogaloo. Christ. Yeah, it's so dumb. Um, they thought that they could start the second Civil War by... Starting race, race inciting racial violence and right, racial tensions. By arresting Gretchen Whitmer. <laughs> They're going to start the next Civil by, War. Uh, and then uh, they thought about, like, they in the article they talked about how... Uh, how they pictured, like, you know, when cops do, like, busts of, like, a drug den, they'll put, like, a, all the guns and drugs on a table, and, you know, they'll be taking pictures, right, of the score. They thought that they were going to be doing that, but with, like, Gretchen, Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmer hogtied up on a table. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? They're going to kidnap her? Hogtie her, put her on a table, and take photos and be like, you guys ready for the second Civil War? I mean, and also, you know, as the story went on, you know, uh, there was all, like, they... Uh, I think the thing here is I think a lot of these guys were just talk. Yeah. Right? Through reading the stories, hmm. a lot of these guys just wanted to act tough like yeah. in the article they talk fantasy about, for them in, yeah in the article they talk about this one guy who said like uh he was one of the i i didn't write down any of the names because there was just so many names yeah. it just would have been too hard to follow that follow yeah. that so one of the three um the original targets the main targets were the um were in this like kind of militia group and uh, one of them, he had said, like, oh, I uh, I Molotoved uh, a cop's home and I I uh, I have some C4. And it turns out it wasn't C4, that it was fake. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, like a lot of these guys, they, they and, and the Molotov thing, well, it turns out to be a bullshit story. Yeah, it's you know? almost like it's just a fantasy. For they're, them, they're, like, they're cosplaying. They're LARPing. They're, they're LARPing, <laughs> dude. They're cosplaying. But they're cosplaying as fucking extremist yeah. <laughs> terrorist anti-state anti-government right. nationalist and the thing white is nationalist. the thing to keep in mind here is that with the fbi informant the government is trying to manufacture consent and trying to create the n- narrative that this was a precursor to january 6th the mm. the, the what did they call it? The insurrection. Insurrection at the Capitol. Yeah. <laughs> the diet coup. <laughs> um, so uh, there was the government had at least 12 confidential informants who assisted in the sprawling investigation. BuzzFeed found out that the CIs were more involved than previously reported. And we'll get into that. Um, you know, and just to keep in mind when I'm talking about this, some people argue this is a good deterrent and some people view it as government overreach. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I'm, I'll, I'll lead, lead, I'll ask you at the end of this. And okay. You tell me what you think. All right. Um, so, uh, they had nearly a hand in every step of this alleged plot, starting with its inception. Um, so, a uh, longtime informant from uh, Wisconsin helped organize meetings around the country where many of the plotters met. Um, uh, the CIA. In Wisconsin, who, I'm sorry, did I mishear you? 
What's you it? said Wisconsin? Wisconsin, yes. Not in Michigan? Yes. Huh. Um, we'll get into who that was. Uh, a CI paid for hotel rooms and foods as an incentive to get people to come. Um, uh, the I, it, He was the Iraq war vet who is named in this article as Dan. They didn't give him his full name. Probably out of, you know... Still an ongoing investigation, right. and you know... Right. But he was the the corner, like the main confidential informant in this story. Okay. So he climbed so high that at one point he was second in command at this militia. Yeah, at the, the Wolverines. Yeah. With the Wolverines. So second uh, Wolverine in command. All um and this guy, Dan, as he, the story goes on, he was encouraging the leader one of the leaders of this group that to push this story right push the mastermind you know he'd be like oh why don't you write a manifesto why don't you do, you know what i mean like why don't <laughs> it you always like, starts with the manifesto right but you know what i'm saying like the 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 fbi informant uh-huh. was pushing them to make the the this plan of kidnapping gretchen whitmer as more of a Actual. Rather than just like a fantasy or like they're pontificating, they're hey, trying you to know. make it materialize, yeah. basically. Um, and the article brings up that you know, especially during the you know the I you know a lot of like the war on terror, there was a lot of you know radicalizing young Muslim men on the internet, mm. um, basically entrapping them and radicalizing them, and like they would be like, oh yeah, you should totally go to Syria, I'll pay your ticket, mm. you know what I mean? Like, there's a bunch of stories out there like that of. You know, like I said, young Muslim men getting caught up. Uh, so, um, yeah, so, you know, they're all claiming entrapment, which is mm-hmm. typical for domestic terrorists. That get caught up by informants. That get caught up by informants. But it usually fails. Hmm. Um, the FBI has always, you know, used CIs, uh, confidential informants, I'll just call them CIs, okay. uh, to infiltrate infiltrate dissident groups like the Black Panthers, the KKK, and Martin Luther King himself. Um, informants, you know, the use of informants has a mixed record. Some say it's prevented terrible violence. Some say they've coerced innocent people and falsified evidence and committed murder while working for the FBI. Um, so we'll go back to the, um, the inception of this, right? So a guy named Dan, he's a veteran, uh, Iraqi veteran, uh, he's injured, you know, he, uh, he had, uh, he had CTE, a fractured spine, you know, he got beat up over, this happened to him in, in war In war. Yeah. yeah. He got beat up over there. So, uh, he, uh, went looking to talk to people about guns on Facebook and try to find like-minded individuals. <laughs> you um, like guns? <laughs> yeah. Uh, in Michigan, there are about 22 or more, uh, anti-government extremist groups in that state. Um, as he scrolled through the guns right pages, the Facebook algorithm tying back to a story that you talked about. Oh, the dead internet. Yes. Uh, the, the Facebook algorithm, called. uh, pushed him in a way to check out a group called the Wolverine Watchmen. <laughs> hey, he might be interested in <laughs> yeah. the Wolverine Watchmen. So um, the page encouraged him to download an app called Wire. 
um, he wanted to stay fresh by, you know, running through the woods and shooting targets, I guess, keep his, his skills from war, you know, by doing, you know, all that shit. Yeah. Uh, the encrypted chat, they joked about, uh, the big boog, the big um, boog, the big igloo, and they called himself the Buhajadin. The Buhajadin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I thought you'd like that. I, I was like, yeah, I don't think I like that. <laughs> the Buha Jadin. <laughs> so, um, some in the chat urged the group to download a hunting app that claimed they could use it to track police and murder them. He hmm. so then you know feeling like you know this guy's a veteran. You know, feeling out of respect to the cops, he's like, I'm gonna go to the cops with this shit because it's crazy. Yeah. Um, he showed the cops and then he was contacted by a special agent asking him to come to the FBI offices. Uh. Um, they asked him to work undercover. Um, and he didn't really, he didn't, they didn't, in the article it says that he wasn't expecting anything, but at the end of it, he was later given a new car and around $24,000. Ooh. Yeah, not so nice bad. Nice little payout. Nice little payout. Um, apparently, thanks, um, Uncle Sam. In the article, it says that. This guy was working out of, you know, good conscience or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, that's at least what they say. Who knows with this story? The FBI has spent $42 million a year in um, in the range from 2012 to 2018 on, on uh, informants. $42 wow. million a year. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> They're sending a lot of feelers out there, okay? <laughs> I, You know, I always thought informants were just, like, people they had... Are, I mean... I always thought a large majority of informers, I should say, were just like people they had arrested and they, you know, co- coerced them into and inf- be acting as an informant for reduced sentencing. Right. That's at least that's that was my assumption as well. Um, So his code name was yeah, like this guy I, I just know, went I, along with it. Like I would have been like, no, I let you guys I let you guys know about it. He I did like, my part. Look, like this, I would just like, I don't want to do This guy anymore. was already brainwashed into being a veteran. I yeah, mean. <laughs> I guess maybe. Yeah, maybe he looked at it like he continuing to serve his country in exactly. some way. So his code, I know you want to know his code name so bad right uh. now. Yeah, no, his code name was Thor. Thor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, so the FBI focused on three targets. The three main guys who headed up this l- local group, the mm-hmm. Michigan, the Michigan uh, Wolverine Watchmen. Wolverine Watchmen. Uh, so he started training these guys, right? Uh-huh. He started training these guys. Um, there was a guy, Stephen Robeson, who was a biker. He was in a biker gang called the Ghost Riders, and in a murder trial, he snitched them out to the prosecution. So this guy was already a confidential. Yeah, like, he was already a rat. He was already a rat based. Um, so he helped the government put away a bunch of people, actually. They're part um, of this MC. Right. Um, so Robeson started a group called the Washington Patriot Three Percenters. Oh, I've heard of them. That's who uh, Sasha Barry Cohen uh, did that song at. That, yeah, that yeah. was one of their rallies. Yeah. And they caught on to him. So, um, yeah, that was that was the he started that group. Hmm. Um, a man named Barry Croft Jr. He was one of the targets I mentioned. Uh, first floated the idea of the kidnapping. Um, Dan at this point was second in command. Dan is the, uh, the veteran, the veteran who's mm-hmm. a CI. I just want to refresh. Okay. So, um, he raced to record a call with a guy named Adam Fox, who was a prominent Boogaloo boy. 
Nice. Yeah, he wore like, you know, like there was a they talk about in the article that there was an original like they stormed the Capitol building in Michigan and um, they were like allowed in as long as, you know, they were scanned for temperatures. (laughs) And uh, they actually mentioned going and looking for Gretchen Whitmer this time. uh, But they she wasn't there. (laughs) Um, So um Basically, this guy said that, uh, he, you know, he was just this guy who's like, I'm a general Adam Fox. He's like, I'm this general without men, you know, and uh, he's like, we want the lawless tri- tyrants out of power and take the building and then take the hostages. You know, he was this kind of guy. Um, Dan invited them to train with the militia, Adam and his cohort. Dan drove five watchmen's 6,000 rounds and rented a suburban lodgings and food, all sponsored by the FBI. <laughs> wow. And um, FBI is paying for this trip. Yeah, for basically, the, the, the FBI, FBI is was paying, paying for, the for a lot of like the transportation costs, a lot of this stuff. Um, uh, members quit, and then basically, Dan becomes the leader. Wow. becomes the leader of this group. He just like fell into it. Yeah, dude. So this confidential informant is the leader of this militia group that is acu- that was accused of the, the this attempted kidnapping. So Dan urged Fox to like I've mentioned this before. Dan urged Adam Fox to write this manifesto. Hmm. And write a manifesto about this plot, basically giving undeniable evidence that this is you know, that these guys are domestic terrorists. Yeah. <clears throat> the FBI urged Dan to bring in more people into this plot that they can tie to this plot. More people somewhat involved. They would they talked about like going to all these different meetings, some in Ohio, all over. Um and basically trying like Dan was helping trying to get people to join this Wolverine Watchmen's right, but more importantly, just to basically get people who are kinda in connection with this whole kidnapping plot. Oh, they're trying to rope more people in for the scheme. Right, exactly, exactly. Going around the Great Lakes area, being like, <laughs> "Who wants in on this?" Yeah. So, uh, Dan told the uh, the FBI told Dan to bring three Watchmen to go and surveil the uh, her house. Those three men were later, um, they had no involvement in the actual uh, part where they get arrested, but they ended up getting arrested for just watching and providing surveillance to the house. And they Mm. said they maintained that that was all they did. Yeah. Continuing. Um, Dan inserted another undercover agent. His name was Red, who is a so-called explosives expert. (laughs) (laughs) You need uh, one of those on every... uh, every, uh, kidnapping mission (laughs) (laughs) right right exactly so this guy this is sounding like shit straight out of a movie um and basically this guy is an undercover agent and he's like hey we need four thousand dollars and we'll go and get these explosives right that to blow up this bridge i i forget why they wanted to blow up this bridge but whatever and part of the kidnapping they needed to blow up a bridge (laughs) (laughs) yeah bro this is like oceans 11 sounds like it's gonna bring a lot of heat on (laughs) to them um so on October seventh, uh, they met in a warehouse supposedly to buy these explosives from Red, and that's when they got arrested. Funnily enough, you want you want the guys only had about the the two other guys other than Dan, who he brought to the, um, with him, some other members, uh, only had about four hundred and fifty dollars combined 
<laughs> in their pockets really? for this so-called explosive deal. <laughs> so Dan it was probably like a little less. Dan was probably like, shoot, how are we going? They're probably like, how are we going to get a hold of this money for the explosives to blow up the bridge? Uh, so many steps, <laughs> and. Uh, Basically, you know, I assume he, he was probably like, ah, don't worry, I got it, don't worry, I got, I got a guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, both sides heap praise on the FBI. I'm talking about both sides of the po- political aisle because yeah. they're like, wow, the FBI is doing its job stopping terror. Yeah. <laughs> and guess how much uh, D- Dan had to be reimbursed for all of the costs associated of getting all these people um, involved in this plot? You want to take a guess? How much he was reimbursed? Yeah, for like, for like basically using the spent? FBI credit card. Man, um, I would guess he probably spent about ten grand. Fifty-four thousand dollars. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because it was like plane tickets, lodging, all this shit. Damn. Yeah. So, um, right now the investigate, you know, the um, proceedings are still undergoing. Um. Some only like I said, only one has uh, copped a guilty plea. Most of them are claiming entrapment, right? That the FBI strung them along and along and encouraged this and right. tried to make it happen. Exactly, because and because why? My theory is to fit some sort of narrative, to which is um, just to you know increase the police state basically and mm. increase you know more surveillance on people mm. and use this as a justification of being like see they were gonna they were gonna kidnap Gretchen Whitmer and mm. you know and the, th- the thing is is that you ask the question and I'm gonna ask you this to you now um, and this is what I was thinking the whole time would this plot have been carried out if not for the the Dan character in the story <laughs> would the plot have been carried out? And there's a lot of people who say that, no, no, it wouldn't have. And that it most likely would have just remained a fantasy. Yeah. And, you know, so what are your thoughts? Well, it's hard to say for sure. Um, You know, I think, you know, this group sounds like a lot of nationalist groups that have risen up in the past decade or two. You know, the some of the most famous being like the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers or whatever and i the think oath like keepers yeah the oath keepers you haven't heard of them they're the guys yeah. that went down there during the clive and bundy thing oh yeah. those guys yeah they're 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 all like far right you know militia groups types um i i think a lot of times i think they do you know it is the conversations that they have they have a lot and i think it's like ideation they like to you know toy with um but to say it'll like actually go ahead and happen i would say in most cases that like for these guys they're probably like really bored with themselves and this is like you know obviously something they're passionate about they're these political beliefs that lead them to have ideas like this i think that um so yeah i don't i don't know if i would say that yeah this was gonna happen one way or the other and the fbi stopped something but you know i I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with all the methods that took place here. You know, I think that planning informants in there and planning people that are like going along with this and actively plotting with them and giving them resources to recruit more members right. is kind of nefarious. And, you know, I, I just don't think the police should have that much of an involvement. I think they should just watch them if they're concerned, just like, you know, 
Just watch a monitor survey from afar. Spy on them like you do all of us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like maybe more so just like, yeah, just keep an eye on it. It's just one of those things to monitor. Just be like, right. hey, we're aware there's some nutty kooks out in the Great Lakes regions and all around the country, especially in like, you know, more rural areas right. that are like with these ideas and with these certain set of beliefs and... They play with these ideas. I think, yeah, a lot of times it is just hot air that they're blowing and it is just trumped up talk, you know? And I mean, I've seen it firsthand, people that act like this. You know, a lot of it is just an act at the end of the day, you know? It's just like what they want to believe, you know? They want to think that they're tough. They want to think that they're rebels, you know? They want to think that they're, they're fighting. They're weebs for freedom. They're, they're, yeah, they're <laughs> fighting the power, but, like, most of the time they fall in line i would say like 90 percent of the time i'm sure yeah. there's 10 you know a, a small percentage of them that are like really willing and capable there there is obviously a few but like to get a whole yeah. organization involved that would be complicated it'd be, well, i mean it'd be something massive if they pulled that off yeah. and i just i you know it, you know i if you come at this from an anti-police perspective you know i i just think that it's very kind of over overreaching police tactics yeah and that if they can do this you know you might hear about these guys and be like oh well fuck them they're far-right extremists and nationalists but i mean if they if the feds are willing to do that to extreme right-wing groups they're obviously willing to do that to any group yeah so whether regardless of black lives matter yeah or any political group or whatever Mm -hmm. it may be so you know making sure that the feds you know, just don't have the power to kind of like overreach with this, you know? So I can't believe I'm defending them a little bit, yeah. you know, it just, it does seem like a little entrap, especially the, how much it sounds like they kind of strung this along and well, pushed like, it like along. Like I said, the, the guy, Dan, the Iraq veteran, mm-hmm. he what became the leader at a certain point. That's wild. Yeah. He's basically running the show at that yeah, point. At, the, at this point, you know, if he just became the leader I mean, you couldn't really arrest him on anything because a lot of it's just talk, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, but he like kind of manifested it and made it real, mm-hmm. right? He took that these guys like, I mean, how many times do you hear a dude say like, oh, I'll kick that guy's ass or like, you know, a lot of yeah. it's just, you know, it's just bravado. Or, it's just bullshit. You know, to kind of relate it to a little bit closer to what these guys think. It's like people who have a lot of guns be like, one day the government's coming yeah, to okay. take it and I'll be there at my door ready to fight back. And it's like, uh, let's say like that does happen. Like you're not going to, uh, most of those people, it'll end up being all talk. Yeah. You know, they're not going to sit, you know, really fight back against against the government in that way it's like 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 i've been saying it feels very much like a fantasy they have to maybe try and assert some power over their lives and in their country where they feel like they don't have a lot of power which i think many americans have that that frustration of feeling powerless I, i just i just think that this was used as a political weapon to kind of um kind of give into the police state a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I agree. I think that this only serves to just like, yeah, to bolster the image of, of you know, the feds in this case, apparently who, who it is. But yeah, just bolster the image of, you know, police activity and make them yeah. look like heroes. Like obviously something like you meant, we mentioned the January 6th 
Um, well, right now, literally, they're having the uh, the hearings. Well, the, I know, yeah. Uh, and the, and have, you seen, have you seen some of the police testimony? Yeah, they don't seem happy. <laughs> yeah, no. They're like, pretty pissed. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty pissed. And you know what's funny? It's like, I remember hearing from them, uh, this is kind of like a tangent, but um, that there were people holding Blue Lives Matter flags as they were like as they're attacking the police, police. <laughs> like jeez uh, you know it's it's all talk it's all a facade but you know something like the January 6th Capitol riot that was real it doesn't it yeah it is real and it doesn't serve to help the case of these guys because right. you know especially the photos of the dude that was running around with zip ties and oh, in, a, in yeah. a fucking black and then of outfit course the, the like, shaman you know people i think will look at that yeah you know and be like oh like so they were trying to kidnap politicians they were trying to Dude, kidnap they want, congressmen they, want, they, they, they want, wanted to hang mike pence yeah and nancy pelosi and aoc and they wanted them all you know so like an incident like that which is obviously like was huge and everybody's heard of that i think that did a big disservice for these types of militia groups who might you know just kind of play the role a bit and you yeah. know just kind of just be like you know guys that are just out there and it's more of a hobby than it is like something they're literally intending on acting on you know, but something like like January 6th, I think, gives the public this idea that, oh, yeah, this is possible. And these people will try and pursue this if given the chance, you know, and obviously the the politicians, the congressmen that were there who were targets of this probably then see the FBI doing stuff like this. And they're like thankful for mm-hmm. it. They're like, oh, yeah, the FBI is here oh, stopping he- anything from this yeah. happening again, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I just think that. This, yeah, and, and busting something like this, they're all like, see, we, we're protecting the politicians who are obviously, you know, in control and funding the uh, the feds and other, you know, police agencies, you know, it just, right. it, it, it just feeds itself at that point. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I just, uh, you know, I'm against the police state, you know, I don't think. As you should be. As you should be. Who wants be. a police state? Yeah. <laughs> George Orwin, 1974. <laughs> 1984. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, Orwellian. Uh... Who wants a police state, yeah. you know? And so, regardless of these guys' political views and, you know, whether you agree with them or not, like, yeah, it is It is a little, uh, it is a little scary that the yeah. police, you know, pursue these lines of, of action in order to, yeah. you know capture and prosecute people and they consider to be extremists and you know? also justifying spending budgets yeah you know well I mean? justifying you know spending money like like i said before like on the war on terror and basically you entrap these young muslim men and then you basically fit your narrative that there are terrorists trying to you know um you know cause harm to america yeah and then more power can be given to the forces that be that right fight that quote-unquote terrorism right. or extremism you know whatever ism it might be yeah but so, you know who's who's out there to judge what makes an extremist or what doesn't right you know obviously you know obviously i think it would be kind of um negligent 
of the feds to completely turn a blind eye course, to this and let it like run wild but like to get so hands on with it too I think that the guy becomes the, the your informant becomes the leader yeah. of the organization I think that's overreaching and to get all of the lower guys because they have like a hierarchy right mm-hmm. in this group and you know to get all of the other members as most anti-authoritarian right. groups have well, you know, it was <laughs> the like, hierarchy it was like, you remember that one, that one dude that was in the Proud Boys was an informant yeah, that one. Yeah, dude. yeah. Like, well, like I was saying earlier, this is not a, a no. new tactic. They exist they and ex- they yeah. monitor. They monitor them. They watch them, and in ca- many cases, they have yeah. informants undercover in these groups. Be against the know? police state. All right. Well, should we go into our uh, their shame of the week? Okay, we'll shame something. All right. Get to it. Shame. Alright. Alright, so we're shaming this week. I brought this one to the table. We were I was, you know, talking to Zach earlier. Yeah, I didn't even think about it it earlier. Yeah, you know, like about what to shame this week. And there's something that's hot on my mind. And it (laughs) pissed me the fuck off. It was this goddamn Space Jam 2, A New Legacy, dude. <laughs> fuck this movie, dude. Fuck it up its fucking ass. <laughs> I mean, I remember when this movie was announced, I kind of just rolled my eyes and I'm like, I, you knew yeah. it was going to happen. This idea has been teased for a while that they were going to make a Space Jam 2 with LeBron James. You know, yeah. But when it was finally announced, I just kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, ah, here it is, a little cash grab. It can squeeze. Right. It can, Space Jam is still in the memory of of of, of the public and the consumer. Yeah, of, our, of our generation. a little bit more. Of our generation, of because our generation is the one who... When that movie, when did the first one come out? What's that? When did the first one come out? Uh, In the 90s. What year exactly? Because I was was five years old at the oldest at the end of the 90s. Cut. 1996 is when it came out. 1996. Okay. I would have been two years old. I didn't watch Space Jam on its release. Fair enough. But I watched it pretty young. I watched it like when I was five. Yeah. I mean, must have seen it in the early 2000s. Right. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, that movie is a commercial, you know, the original. And it is, you know, it's a commercial for both the NBA and no, it's, it's just a commercial for just capitalism products, you know, Nike, Nike shoes, Mm. fucking Gatorade, all that shit. It was just, it was just a, it was, it was just a huge, like uh cash grab. And it was also just the first one. You say is a cash grab. Okay. Yeah, dude. In the first one, they had Michael Jordan living in some regular ass house. Like he isn't living in some fucking mansion. He's Mm. like, go back and watch this. He's living in some regular ass house with a hoop that has the chains. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like the the ghetto hoop that has like the chain. Yeah. That's the coolest one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but uh, you know, like the first one, it had it had you know Michael Jordan. Even though he was a, not a great actor, it had some kind of charm and charisma to yeah. it. Yeah, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that it kind of captured the essence of the '90s. So yeah, like yeah, and you know, and I always liked Looney Tunes as a kid. I always thought they were fun. You know, I liked Bugs Bunny. There was mm-hmm. like you know a fun aspect to that cartoon. Sure. Um, and, you know, I always liked them. So especially, you know, after watching, uh, Space Jam, um, and 
I was so like, what they're okay. doing with Space Jam 2 is they're just doing something that's become a very common tactic in the entertainment industry. And the it's where you just connect a bunch yeah, of different they're, properties well, they're, together. They're capitalizing on nostalgia. Yeah. It's the nostalgia factor. It's a member factor. movie. And, and, and nowadays the entertainment industry has realized that's like a very lucrative market is right. capitalizing on that nostalgia. Gotta get that nostalgia fix. Yeah. Gotta squeeze Ooh, that yeah. nostalgia. Yeah. All these people in their, in their mid-20s. Yeah. Oh, okay, you but, all remember the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> You remember, I remember. Um, so you know, let's let's think about let's break down what Space Jam Two is. Okay, it's I I started it, to watch it when I saw because I was like, oh, let me see this, and I got to the part where LeBron James is dropped in the Tune World, and then I fell asleep. Yeah, and I had no want to put it back on the next day or rewatch it again. Yeah, yeah. as you should. It's a fucking waste of time. What happens in Space Jam Two? So okay, let's break down what it is first off. Okay, it's a sequel slash remake. Okay, it's a reboot. Reboot. Okay, already unoriginal as fuck. Already, I'm just saying yeah. off the bat. Okay, then you got they put the same fucking premise in the movie because what else could it be that it comes down to one big game at the end of the movie you know what i mean there's literally where i mean i don't know where else they could have fucking gone with the story but that was just gonna happen it was like okay first off lebron james not likable whatsoever it's like you know what it was it's he's like likable in post-game interviews <laughs> lebron james has absolutely no charisma whatsoever he is terrible in this movie he seems like the person that was like their second choice because they couldn't find anyone that compare could compare to michael J- michael jordan yeah i was gonna say who would be the second who would exactly. be the original they were choice. just like i guess we got it's LeBron. always been his name floated as i as know that. but still but still it's the thing is, though, is that it's a movie, though, and you got to watch this guy act through part of it, parts mm-hmm. of it, and you're just like, oh, well, he's fucking terrible. <laughs> you know, for an athlete, you know, you ever see an athlete try the actor, you ever play the 2K story mode games, oh, and they get the actual players to read their lines, and sometimes they're just like, hey, man, you should try and pass the ball more. <laughs> you know, they're like, athletes are bad actors. Yeah. For an actor, I would s- but let's just I wouldn't be say honest. he's that bad in the movie. What is that movie? Fucking, train wreck. Uh, yeah, the train wreck. No, yeah, he was, he was, he was like, good in that. not bad. But no, in this, he was bad. First off, they CGI'd his hairline. No way. No, they did. Dude, there was there is a clip I will show you where some dude is literally has like some kind of sprayer thing and is filling in his hairline. <laughs> hmm. Um, you know, just just jokes because you know people clown him for his hairline. Um, but yeah, so um, is that right? <laughs> I mean, you know what it is. You know what it is. Uh, the NBA lighting is not really favorable lighting. So yeah, so um, you know, I I didn't really uh, <laughs> I just there was it's just it, it was lacking anything of any substance. You know, I mean, like I. I I know it's just a kids movie, all right. I'm I'm fully aware. No, I'm right. telling you, this is nostalgia. This is a product of the nostalgia 
capitalizing on nostalgia because they're hoping that a lot of people in their mid twenties will be like, "You remember Space Jam? Yeah, 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 come watch Space Jam." That's I'm sure. Yeah, part of it is kids, but they're also right. marketing it to to the nostalgia factor. Yeah, I mean, and that's the whole point. I mean, like literally at this point, it was just an an a commercial for WB properties. It was like, oh look, uh, like you know, uh, Don Cheadle comes and he plays an algorithm called Algae Rhythm. Mm-hmm. Lame. I did see that part. Um, and he pitches LeBron all these ideas like, hey, it's LeBron and Harry Potter. Is LeBron in, you know, a Game of Thrones? And, you know, they basically... <laughs> oh, was it Rick and Morty in it, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so basically what happens is he gets stuck... His son gets to sucked into this compute, this algorithm, the, the Warner 3000, they call it, where it has all the Warner Brothers properties. And basically it's described that all of the Looney Tunes... They all went to um, they all went to different uh, different WB properties. You know, the grandma was in was in the Matrix world. Um, there was a Casablanca world. <laughs> there was a Maltese Falcon world. Are they trying to set up the Warner Brothers extended universe? I can don't, I don't it's know. canon. It's canon. The Matrix exists in the same world. I don't know. As, I don't. Know. I think. I think it's, it's official just that they, Warner Brother canon. I just the, the I, Looney Tunes exist in the Matrix. I just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's dumb. It's dumb. Um, and so yeah, basically they just go through all these different properties. You know, fucking like Wiley e. Coyote was in Mad Max. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and you just see them like, oh, they're in these silly situations. Oh, go go go. You know, and then it basically the last half of the movie is the basketball game, right? Um, they play the Monsters. No, they play the Goon Squad. The Goon Squad. Who's on? Who's on the Goon? So squad? it's Clay Thompson, Damian Lillard, Thompson. uh, two f- WNBA players that I'm not I'm not aware of, and hmm. and Anthony Davis. Hmm. You know, I like get, Clay Thompson and Damian Lillard. <laughs> I like them both. Yeah, but you know, the thing is, is too, is that they decide. Do they win? Does the Goon Squad win? No, of course. Uh, <laughs> that would be and, pretty cool. I would actually make this movie and, a little better. And then I think. here's the, here's the thing that bothered me too. Okay, is that all of these WB properties were represented during the big game because basically they all come to watch this game, mm-hmm. right? And it's basically every WB fucking property that you could think of, you know, like the fucking penguin is on the sidelines and the Joker and there's a, one of the witness guys from the Mad Max and you know what I mean? It's just like people in shitty cosplay <laughs> and it's lame. It's just so lame, dude. It's wow. the Iron Giant was in the background. King oh, Kong gonna was do the hanging. Iron Giant like that? And then King Kong was like, bro, it's like, Wow. And the Iron Giant is wholesome it as fuck, dude. Like, and they, yeah. they fucking they they brought the Iron Giant out for this bullshit <laughs> for shill out the Iron Giant. He was wholesome as fuck, dude. Yeah, got to make uh, turn the Iron Giant into a shill <laughs> for Warner Brothers. So yeah, it just sounds like a big commercial so for them. The biggest uh, there was a Porky Pig rap scene. A circle jerk. There's a Porky Pig rap scene. Warner Brothers circle jerk. Yeah. 
And um, it was just terrible. It was just terrible. Like, I hated it. There was nothing of, like, the, like, LeBron, like, is, like, anti-video. He's, like, his son makes a video game. He's, like, no, you got to be a basketball prodigy like me. You're, and he's, like, acts like a dick. He's a shitty father in the fucking movie. Hmm. Well, you got to have some conflict. It is a movie after yeah, all. I guess, I guess. Or, you know, whatever. But still. No, like, Dad. I want to design video games. He's, like, no. You got to be a, you got to be a. A basketball prodigy like me, dab. Uh, see, they're trying. I think what they're trying to do is how the original Space Jam captured some essence of the 90s. I think they're trying to capture some essence of modern times, you know, with like all the technology and video right. games and stuff. So, one of the things that they do in this, in this movie, uh, have you heard of the term lampshading? And I have not. So it's like when you, it's like being self referential in the movie and like, one of those TV trope things. So in the movie, in the movie, being self referential, they're like, oh, I haven't, like, Bug Bunny goes, like, haven't we done this before, Doc? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And he's like, you know, they're trying to poke, like, uh, when they when Don Cheadle mentions like all the ideas he has to have LeBron James as like the star in these different WB properties, LeBron James is like that's a stupid idea. But what's this fucking movie? <laughs> <laughs> LeBron James in different properties, <laughs> and so it's like they're trying to be self reverential, but they're fucking doing doing it in the stupid the stupidest dumbest fucking way, and you can't. You can't be corny and then be like, we're in on the joke, guys. <laughs> we're in on the joke. Yeah, this is terrible. Why'd you even put it out then? <laughs> yeah. Sounds corny as hell. Yeah, dude. And I, I just think that this movie symbolizes the the void in culture me and you mm-hmm. talk about a lot. Yeah. And that, you know... Um, they have nothing nowadays. Yeah, and right? it's just like, this is a... New IPs are... Well, I've heard this talked about before. New IPs um, are very... It's very risky ventures these days. Right. Like, what, in the mainstream. Like, creating a new... St- IP, new story, new universe entirely from scratch is extremely risky these days. So they go back to what's tried and true and it's risky from a market standpoint. And so they go back to what's tried and true. That's why they're constantly pumping out Marvel films or Star Wars stuff. They keep going back to what already exists because just recreating something new is risky from a a financial standpoint. And an artistic, you know... You know, it's, um, it leads to like a lack of any like ingenuity or any kind of like originalism. It's just, it's like everything's just a rehash. Everything's mm-hmm. just a, you know, this was, I heard people called, uh, <laughs> call it Ready Player Dumb because <laughs> you know how Ready Player One had like all like the, the different, uh, video game properties in the movie, right? I did not, I never saw that. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, they had a bunch of like different like video game characters uh-huh. and, you know, they had a different, you know, the Iron Giant was also chilled out for that one really as well. <laughs> man they're dragging the iron giant yeah, they just really want to fucking chill shit. out the iron giant dude leave the iron giant alone. leave him alone <laughs> <laughs> um he flew so, yeah. into a nuke to save the world so yeah give him a break give him a break the iron giant's the real <laughs> he doesn't want here. to sell warner brothers products yeah. anymore no he wants to be in his own original <laughs> movie that is a sweet story about a boy and his hey, giant watch robot. watch watch i bet i bet in some years they'll try and dig that one up from the grave oh, either and then you know it or give it an iron oh, giant too that's another thing that pisses me off is that 
it's that the the tunes are in CGI. They're not supposed to be in CGI. The whole point of them being tunes is them being 2D. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you put them in CGI, they look weird. And they redrew Jessica Rabbit to not be as sexy. No, they didn't want no, to- no, no, no. You're thinking of Jessica Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh. It was Lola Bunny. Oh. <laughs> Whatever. Same thing. No, it's not. <laughs> it's completely different. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a good fucking movie, and I'll stand by that. Okay. I'm not arguing about whether it's a good movie or a bad right. movie. I'm just saying the character. Same idea behind the character. Yeah, just the character. And to they don't want you- it. They don't want him to be sexy anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of weirdos who who got upset that they desexualized the Lola Bunny character. Yeah, there's people like mad about it. They're like, oh, what am I supposed to jack off to now in theaters? How am I supposed to jack off to Lola Bunny now? Thanks. Um, I'm so, still make it work. So yeah, so I really just wanted to shame this movie because I think it's a symbol of this is this is what we're gonna get from now on. It's the cultural void. It's the cultural <laughs> void that we live in, and we get fucking shitty rehashes like fucking Space Jam. Too, and we'll get that until the end of time. Yep. Don't give in to this nostalgia market. Yeah. Either. Anytime they try to, they try to fucking. I remember. Cap- I remember a few years ago they came out with like a. Uh, what is it? Power Rangers. Power Rangers movie. Yeah. And I, I knew a bunch of guys like my age Rangers, that were going dude. to go see it, and I was like, "Why, dude? Why? There's movies like gonna be for kids." And like, don't you remember watching the Power Rangers? And I was like, first off, I didn't have cable for the first several years of my life, so no, I don't. Unfortunately, Power Rangers were dope. <laughs> and, and then like, I'm just like, dude, this is just one of those. Nost- it's not gonna be a good movie. It's just gonna be one of those nostalgia factor things yeah. where they know that there's a market for nostalgia out there. These products. And they don't have any better ideas. They're not going to go out and take the risk of creating new stories, new films, new franchises. So they just yeah. rehash it, plop it out there, plop out the steam and deuce, and then but you people, know let's let's be on let's game. be let's be honest, Zach. This has been going on for a long time, and the thing is, yeah. is that there are still good movies being released. That's, of course, yeah. I'm not saying there's not, but there is a greater number you know, a greater cultural void well disney that takes disney best. right now is doing like hey what rides do we have let's turn it into a movie they yeah. got literally have the jungle cruise dropping in theaters this week i have no idea what that is <laughs> the, there's a ride at disneyland called the jungle cruise and they were like hey what if we turn this thing into a ride cool. <laughs> into a movie cool <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so um Really just... Um, I'm, I haven't heard anybody say anything really good about this movie either. I mean, suppose... Apparently, it's a, it's been successful at the box office, so mission accomplished, Warner Brothers, I guess. But, like, I'm not hearing a lot of people really talk about this movie all that much, other than the fact that it's out. People are like, oh, you hear they made a new Space Jam? Yeah, cool, whatever. But, um, you know, I'm not... It doesn't seem like it's, like, hitting a nerve or, like you know pressing that button that gets it like really talked about or you know you know so right now it's sitting with a 28 percent on rotten tomatoes with an 80 percent audience score. Uh, huh yeah. critics hate it they're you know i don't want to be that snob and say the critics are right more than the audience but it depends on the type of movie but i think in this they're case, right on this one yeah, okay the audience right. is fucking retarded <laughs> <laughs> all right so um don't don't see space jam 2 Watch some good movies. Watch some shit. Watch, you know, watch something by A24. It'll be original <laughs> at the very least. Watch Moana. Mo- <laughs> Pixar is ten times better than, yeah. than that shit. Um, but yeah, so 
Um, yeah, I just, uh, I, it really just stirred a lot of feeling in me and I vented to all of my g- multiple group chats about how much I hated I this hate fucking Space movie. Jam too. Oh, <sighs> I just hated it because it just, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's remember porn. <laughs> all right. So. All right. Well, shame on Space Jam shame, 2. Shame on you, you piece of shit movie. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what'd you wah, got, wah. Zach? All right, um, this week um, for the mystery conspiracy theory. All right, give it a give it an in, give it one of your voices. Give it an intro. Mystery. What is behind that door? I don't know. What's going on? Conspiracy. Where am I? Conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, this one's a this one's a fun one. Um, it's not really connected to anything we've talked about today. No. Um, but, um... Three, six, mafia! So, this, this theory originally appeared online a few years ago. I do remember vaguely hearing about it, but it wasn't, like, something I looked into. Um, but it came across my, or up to my attention a few weeks ago when I was looking for other, when I was researching another story. So, this is about the... Memphis rap scene of the mid '90s. I guess this is how we'll connect it. Space Jam, original one from the '90s. This is about the '90s in Memphis on the streets. The Memphis underground rap scene. Um, the Memphis rap scene of the mid '90s um, is believed to have carried a lot of um, occultic influence, and many believe that uh, it was in fact. Uh, many people participating in the um, 90s Memphis hip hop scene were performing rituals, conducting um, occultic seances and whatnot, and that that this these ideas we all love about that witchcraft. <laughs> these ideas and and this uh, the occult is very much present in that culture and and. Um, and and seen. So just to get into it, I want to just start by talking about Memphis itself. Um, get into it. Memphis is a considered a fairly dark city. In fact, a quote I found by someone goes by the name Play dark. a Play a Fly. Name dark. Play a Fly. Um, who was part of this Memphis rap scene was quoted as saying, "Memphis is a dark city. There's always been a dark cloud over city uh, okay. over the city." They killed the symbol for peace here. And he's referencing how uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated in Memphis. Hmm. And um, Memphis is considered to have like a very dark history, um, whether it's f- as early as uh, genocides inflicted among local Native Americans to brutal slavery that took place in Memphis to civil war battles and connections to the civil war. Um, it's also Memphis is also considered the... Uh, birthplace of, of of an american version of voodoo called hoodoo um hoodoo if you know memphis is actually named hoodoo. after the hoodoo. um ancient city in egypt memphis oh, yeah that's right i forgot about yeah. that i know i remember um, that from civ Mem- <laughs> you know a lot of occultic um practices have a lot of ties to ancient egypt right um so in in downtown memphis there's a, a building that many people think is like some some obelisk to the occult it is the memphis pyramid i don't know if you've mm. ever seen it um it's now okay. a bass pro shop it's pretty funny look it up it's a bass pro shop now um so 
It's just Memphis. <laughs> what the fuck? It just has a giant Bass Pro. It's a Bass Pro show. It was like originally supposed to be oh, open as man. a sports arena. Oh, wow. So, yeah, Memphis, there's just something haunting. <laughs> the the going, Bass Pro Shop Pyramid. <laughs> yeah. There's just something haunting and that and dark and bloody that, that lies in within Memphis and its history. It's I, In researching this topic, I found it Memphis to be a pretty fascinating city actually and it sounds like a cool place to take a trip for like a haunted tour or something it sounds hmm. like it's a fairly creepy place um so the the rap scene the, and the hip-hop scene that it evolved in the 90s um is considered it's also sometimes it's considered what started horrorcore you know yeah which I've is like what before. icp yeah. is you know and it's has is very a dark sounding music, haunting, atmospheric. In fact, a lot of the um, musicians, it's very lo-fi in style. Right. And a lot of the music, musicians would actually sample uh, clips from horror movies and splice them up and put them into the yeah. backing soundtrack, like John Carpenter there's films. A, there's actually an artist uh, I've, I've been listening to in recent years. Uh, their name, His name is Clipping. Mm-hmm. And uh, he does some kind of... No like doubt he's influenced by this Memphis scene. Like, oh, yeah. all a lot of this stuff... In in watching this, I realized this, this hip-hop scene has mm-hmm. a massive influence to the... Oh, yeah. Probably... Because perhaps of the occultic powers that it summoned. The left hand path. That gave it the power to have massive influence in the way it does. So Destroy the child. Um, so, one of the most famous act probably from this scene is 3-6 Mafia. 3-6 Mafia? Originally called Triple Six Mafia. Obviously met you. That's okay. pretty obvious yeah, with that there. Is um and much of you know obviously Juicy J's from Three Six Mafia. I'm gonna call them Triple Six Mafia for the rest of this. DJ Paul, but a lot of the original occultic imagery of of Triple Six Mafia is attributed to a founding member, Lord Infamous. What a <laughs> yeah. fucking name, dude, um, Lord, Infamous. Lord Infamous. I am Lord Infamous of the <laughs> Memphis rap well, scene. <laughs> you know. Uh, these guys, they a lot of them have names like that. There's also some other musicians from this scene include HOH, which I believe stands for Halls of Hell, um, Maniac, uh, Lil Ramsey, another Egypt reference right there, NOD, Niggas of Destruction, uh, Psycho, um, and then there's a lot of DJs at Children of the Corn. There's a Children of the Corn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's just like a lot of DJs out there. Um, so a lot of these, obviously just hearing their names, like a lot of these rappers and, 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 and hip hop artists went into it, like creating this dark imagery in their names, violent, gory. And of course, like murder rap was already a thing. It's not like they started murder rap, but right. they went like full into it. Like, like there is no kind of like other hip ICP is influenced by no, this. No, Ice-T. Oh, Ice-T. They're all influenced by yeah. this. This this scene has some crazy influence and all I right. believe it to be because of the dark powers they were able to tap into. Okay. And that, that those forces still resonate within the music. They put that out there. Hmm. So basically, they were, they were using their music. The idea here is that 
their music acts as it's very um their music has it has a lot of references to satan very yeah. violent imagery talking about being psychos going you know, around and, killing uh, things he's not the first they're uh, they're not the first musicians uh accused of using magic to uh help their careers um mo- more famously, David Bowie. Yeah, David Bowie. Well, was look, David Bowie wasn't wasn't using this imagery as much as these, these no, guys right. were all about it. Right. These like, there's tons of theories about the music industry and, and connections to the occult. This is like these guys made this. The this was all like their main thing. Their name. They're named after violent things or named in a way to okay. you know provoke darkness their lyrics are centered around that here i'll read you some of the lyrics that um from a lord infamous i think this is from this comes off three six mafias original original album uh it's called magic styles i believe mm. and uh lord infamous sings i'm sorry it's a mystic styles mystic styles of the ancient mutilations Torture chambers filled with corpses in my basement. Feel the wrath of the fucking devil nation. Three six mafia creation of Satan. Also, goddamn, yeah. <laughs> so this is like that gives you a little bit of a taste of it. But so much of the music was that was being produced in there, the lyrical content centers around stuff like that. Gangster Boo for in Three Six Mafia refers to herself many times as the devil's daughter. Love me some gangster. Boo. Um. And as you can see here on the cover of the Three Six Mafia album, uh, there is a an image. Yeah, Mystic Styles. There's an image of one of the musicians. I believe this is Coopster. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what this guy's name is, but he's on a cross. He's on a cross there. Yeah, and right. the original idea was that like yeah, I was I read that they went out to shoot pictures somewhere in in Memphis. And that they wanted to shoot pictures for the album. And while shooting them, they found an empty warehouse and they walked in. And in the middle of the warehouse was men, hooded figures, men in a hooded figures, cloaks and, and hoods and torches performing an occultic ritual over an altar and, and, and sigils. Mm-hmm. And that they were performing an occultic ritual and that this enlightened or turned on. The, the members of three six mafia to a deeper underground occultic scene that mm-hmm. has been in existing in memphis since the be- creation of the city mm-hmm. you know and that there's strong occultic satan satanic and paganistic worship that takes place in memphis and that this memphis rap scene and the reason it's so dark and 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 has so much of this imagery and talks about the occult so out outwardly is that many of the members in that or many of the people that participated in were part of the the hip-hop scene in in this time were also participants in the occult that took Hmm. place there so the greater idea here is that the music the eight tracks because these music this is in the 90s obviously it's recorded and it's placed onto eight tracks right right the idea is here that these musicians had gone and used these these eight tracks as sigils okay so just to explain what a sigil is real quick in the performance of an occultic ritual usually usually a sigil is used um in order to direct your energy and at at what you're trying to accomplish through the ritual so in ancient times like you would use a sigil of like a demon if you're trying to you know summon a demon you have the sigil of the demon there it's supposed to be a reflection of what your intentions are right you know and so it's a way to channel your energy. So 
The sigils, it's believed, were created during dark rituals performed by the members that some speculate that murders were committed in in various locations around Memphis. These murders were recorded and then cut up and spliced together. And then in a ritualistic, ch- the, that these raps are them either it's a form of worship or it's a form of ritual that they're doing as they record and then they splice it in with the energy of the murder that took place and then they've created the sigil and the thing with the sigil is you have to charge it in order to have it manifest in order to manifest what your ritual is trying to the objection the uh uh, objective of your ritual so So when they pass these eight tracks around and they were listening to it people whether they knew it or not were unwittingly participants in charging the sigil Mm. the fact that these were getting passed around and being listened to charge these sigils and strengthen the power of the rituals that the rappers did that the hip-hop artists did it strengthened Mm. the power of the ritual so what their objective is is it's up for debate you could say the easy and easy explanation is you know they wanted to commune with with the devil or ta was another one the ancient egyptian god ta or um in, or, in order to, you know, gain power and success and, and fame through their art. Okay. And or is this was just purely just intentionally just a form of worship, you know, that hmm. there was no end. The end goal was the worship itself and the ritual itself. Okay. It's um, believe that this could be referred to as a type of chaos magic. Chaos magic being a style of magic that is conducted in order to achieve like physical recognizable results is, as compared to Aleister Crowley was doing. He, he did all kinds. He did like all kinds of things. I think chaos magic kind of, it comes a little bit after him. Okay. Yeah. Um, but like, I guess sex magic, I think is perhaps supposed to be a form of chaos magic. I'm not sure. Okay. Sorry. But, I was just um, asking. But, uh, yeah. So these, they, uh, created these sigils and put the eight tracks themselves are sigils, but, they and that they had imbued with some type of mystical energies or mystical magic um so there's a one wild theory that i've also heard is that, that what the purpose of these sigils is this is really outlandish but um <laughs> the, this is the wildest one that it comes out of this that these sigils somehow hold the location of the nephilim Oh, Which that's, is, a, that's a half uh, angel, half, uh, it's like a, because it's a child of the antic. No, it's like a half angel, half human. Kind of. Um, it's unclear exactly what the Nephilim are. They're, they're from the Hebrew Bible. They're just described as very powerful beings. Mm-hmm. Some think maybe they're aliens. Some think they're, they're a type of angel. Others, and this is a, this is a theory I want to cover eventually, because others believe that they're an ancient giant race that lived. There's mm. crazy theories about giants. It sounds silly. They're insane. It's and insane in a very fascinating way. The giant theories are, are right, go deep. I'm, I'm here, the I'm giant here theories go deep. We'll I'm, get I'm on t- that on another time. To be honest, I've been wanting you to do the one that you're doing now for a minute. I've yeah. Been wanting, I've been curious. Well, the giant theories go deep, but, you know, some say that these... That one's obviously the most outlandish of, as to, you know, what the purpose of these sigils are. Like, I don't think anybody... In the Memphis hardcore or no, sorry, horrorcore scene, really would have known <laughs> that. Um, uh, so, um, one other thing that you know, also this is a you know has is in, in connection to the greater Memphis area, but that also happened during this time was 
these murders took place. It's called okay. the case of the West Memphis Three. Yeah, um, I've heard about that. That was um, that was the three the three boys, right? These three, yeah, they were put on trial for yeah. murdering some eight year old kids. I'm not sure the exact number of eight year old kids. Basically, these kids. Eight-year-old kids, maybe four or five of them, their bodies were found in a creek in, in West Memphis. And these three boys that were kind of like outcasts, whatever, like, you know, they're, they're a trench coat club of, of the time, you know, were accused of these murders. Real dorks. And um, at the time, you know, this is coming out of the 80s where satanic panic took place. Right. And at the time... The idea was that these murders were committed as a type of real ritualistic offering, sacrifice to Satan, and that these were accusations made in, in the courtroom that the that the West Memphis three murders was a ritualistic sacrifice. You know, so you know some believe that the West Me- or the Memphis um, hip hop scene had some connection to this to this. Uh, you know, they have a greater connection to the occult's doings, okay. comings and goings of, of Memphis and that they therefore had I a connection forgot, I forgot to that that had taken place in, uh, in Memphis, but yeah, yeah, they had some greater connection to these West Memphis three killings of these children. Um, so yeah, so basically, um, that's about kind of where the, th- one thing I want to make clear also about the tracks is when they're on when you if you like go on youtube and listen to them or go on spotify and listen to them right. that is not the actual form of the sigil the sigil purely exists in the original eight track itself right. okay. so just listening to it on youtube you're not charging the sigil i know i thought that i wanted to help triple six <laughs> mafia charge their sigil you know but I, I tried and it turns out you have to have the original eight track and because this is so long ago and this was so underground most of them have been lost to time right um i was reading that they've um been put on they every now and then pop up for auction original um a lot of times some collectors in europe will like go and buy them because they're just like oh fuck yeah that's dope (laughs) yeah so yeah there's just a lot of um that's an interesting one yeah well hold on it gets I have I have a few things to say about this one. So hold on, I want to just go over the ones that are considered sigils. Okay. Um, I have them written down here. If you give me just one second. Vamp, uh, vamp, vamp. Vamp, vamp, vamp. vamp. Uh, almost there. Vamp, is this vamp, one? what is this? Vampire. Okay. Cut. So these Wait. are the some of the eight tracks yeah. that are considered sigils. So there is the self-titled album by Nod Niggas of Destruction, okay. and that came out in 1996. That's an eight track that's considered a sigil um, that's been charged. And Maniac's um, tr- um, eight track, "The World of a Psycho," in particular, his song "Hellraiser" was considered where he poured imbued with the most of his energy and the most of the energy of the ritual that he conducted while recording this a track okay. little ramsey's tape going undercover um hoh halls of hell um 1994 tape living in a casket and psycho's 1995 tape the return of the psycho um also so those are the ones that are that are um hold on there's oh, i actually got a, f- a few more here there's also children of the corns um single tape track witch as in spelled like witch in the woods at w-i-t-c-h which way should i go dj fella um niggas don't die part one 
and Black Hole Posse. Um, a per- and a specific track here again, Mind of a Killer, off the album, the A track entitled, eerily entitled, if you believe that they're recording the sounds of their sacrifices, Sounds of a Murder is the name of that A track. Oh, well, that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's on the nose. So these are some of the A uh, uh, tracks that are believed to be sigils created is as a device for conducting rituals, either just purely through worship or for um, greater success in the rap world. So getting back to like where this came from, because I I found this to be really interesting because in hip hop, you don't see until lately, you don't see a lot of dark. I mean, there's like I said earlier, murder rap existed, but you don't see them going Especially in 90s hip-hop and early 2000s hip-hop, you never see them get this dark, this straight satanic. Like, mm. it's like black metal. It's like the it's like they're doing metal. You know, yeah. the only other genre that exists at this time that was, like, this occultic, this, say, this you know, out in the open with being, like, Satan right. is, is fucking sick, is, 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 is <laughs> like, metal, metal genres. And, right. and then this Memphis underground scene, you know? So, um, you know, it... it raises the question you know why i think why why is this taking place here so i i in reading a couple interviews because they've interviewed a lot of these guys from this scene because and just been like what do you guys have to say about that a lot of the artists just insist that it was kind of an aesthetic and that okay um that memphis was kind of like a dark place in general like i said earlier right. and that and you know i, I believe that like a, a place with a history like that mm. you know attracts a certain toward type of energy you know what i mean uh you know uh that places where traumatic events have happened mm-hmm. leave kind of like a spiritual yeah. resonance somewhere yeah. and the psychic resonance yeah. of, of of traumatic so, events I mean, that, and, that, and, that's not that's not that crazy well interestingly this guy stated in an interview that I read, he stated that that because he, that we don't see stuff like, and I thought this was interesting, we don't see specific local, that this was purely a product of like an, an very local insulated local, yeah, yeah, and that we don't see that this much these days because as the world's become more connected to the internet, music has become much more homogenous and like, you know streamlined so like finding very niche things like this is harder like local scenes having their real niche like style and flavor to them and these guys have a very distinct style and flavor this dark menacing lyrics surrounding sane and murder lo-fi that and this guy in this interview man i wish i could remember who was that was saying this was it maybe the play of fly or, or one of the djs that came out i don't know he said that he believes that this was a lot of this was kind of just a way of coping with living in Memphis. Memphis at the time, especially mm. coming out of the 80s, the crack ep- epidemic was happening and it was affecting Memphis. It was a violent city. It was a lot of poverty there. Mm-hmm. And that this was almost an art- artistic expression of those fears and anxieties yeah. and, and life of living yeah. there mixed in with the eerie, dark occult history and undertones that existed in Memphis. So it was a response to environment, which obviously happens in every city, but because of Memphis's dark past and occultic undertones to it, that it mixed with like the these hip hop artists' expressions of of these of the violence they lived in and around and, right. and and fears and whatnot, and it mixed in with this local Memphis flavor for and, and penchant for the occult, and kind of created this very 
unique, I think, unique genre that would become Memphis horrorcore of the 90s. And, you know, this genre, eventually Memphis would kind of grow out of it and would become, you know, they would get in connection with the greater South and, you know, Trap would arise right. and Crunk. And now we have things. But mm. this genre's influence, I th- I really do think that they did tap into some type of mystic yeah. energies. Because Maybe. this genre's en- influence, you know, really most of these rappers are not known unless you go out and look for them from this scene other than Triple Six Mafia you know, so maybe their their success kind of worked, their rituals and their sigils kind of worked, but the fame was fleeting. Or maybe the power existed in the music itself. Oh, and, and it pushed out. And it was an, able an to push out. And yeah. you think about how horror and rap, at least throughout the 2000s, and when I was growing up listening to hip-hop, it was never... It was about drug dealing and, like, Well, Eminem, booty, booty. Eminem was kind of doing, like, horror rap. Yeah, but, like, he was, like... I don't know. He's a little different than this. He wasn't talking about saying it's just like it's, it's a little bit different. You got to go and listen to it. And okay. like it does not sound like Eminem. It sounds like Wu-Tang Clan became devil worshippers. Hell yeah. Like it's it's very cl- cut and clear and it's way more violent. Eminem's weak ga- weak sauce compared to this. <laughs> He's weak sauce. These guys go hard. They're all, all right. about the darkness and the violence. And, um, you know, so. Obviously, Memphis it would kind of, you know, become a gr- part of the greater, you know, s- southern rap scene. And, you know, a lot of that in the 2000s and 2010s was just more about drug dealing. It kind of lost a little bit of that very dark, edgy vibe of occultic and satanic and ancient Egyptian gods and stuff like that. But now, modern day, you can look at how this influence still kind of permeates. Like, think about XXX Tentacion and mm-hmm. how he kind of incorporated dark heavy yeah. bordering on on occultic imagery ghost main is another example mm. um I'd say, uh, denzel curry oh yeah um so you er, know er, early uh early tyler the creator i don't know i don't okay. know him well enough um, also uh, uh I was, little ugly main <laughs> i throw in um earl sweatshirt as well uh i throw in um there's this one guy a uh, sadistic He's kind of mm-hmm. like in that lane. Um, you can even kind of extrapolate to Death Grip somewhat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just with, you know, just uh, kind of just... A so harsh- most of these artists you're naming, though, right now are, are considered contemporary rappers. Right. So what I find interesting is how much this very niche, very localized scene right. still kind it of... reverberated. It bled, and it bled out and is now present in modern yeah. rap music, mainstream rap music. Yeah. like Because those are all well-known musicians for the most part. Right. Like, fairly well-known. If you listen to rap, you know the, all those guys. Right. You know, but these this was a very underground scene. Somehow, the power that they imbued their music with, whether they were using this music as a form of ritual and an occultic worship or that the music itself carried some energies that they imbued within it. The, in, the rappers themselves never gained maybe the mainstream success they wanted to with the exception of triple six mafia's juicy J but the, but the energies and, and, and the music that was created did kind of leak its way into the, into the mainstream and into a greater the greater rap world to kind of mm. become this thing that's present, you know, which was once at a once time, you know, decades ago, kind of reserved to just metal, you mm. know? Yeah. So I, I, I think it's really interesting how, how this very localized scene came up, you know, I, I, and obviously like, you know, I, 
the rappers and they will even respond to YouTube comments and stuff of right. that on their videos of people making these accusations and be like, hey, no, it wasn't like that. Like this was an aesthetic and we were making this was a response to our environment. And this is just how we expressed ourselves. Right. You know, I for the most part, take their word for it. I don't believe that there were any uh, murders recorded on tracks. I think it's their, their clips taken from horror films. <laughs> and that this was, yeah, I don't think most of them were devil worshippers yeah. or involved with the occult you, any deeper than you, it just being, like, something that they used artistically. You know what? It's just uh, hearing something like this makes me be like, man, like, you know, like, some kind of, like, kind of like folk story or like kind of like tall tale or mm-hmm. some kind of like legend almost of just like oh did you hear that the memphis that these this uh and when was it you said the 90s right yeah most of this took place between like the early to mid 90s okay so uh it's a pre it's like a basically a manifestation of like early internet you know mm-hmm. it's, it's not manifestation uh it's uh it's something that couldn't exist with the internet, I feel like. You know what I mean? Like, because uh, it's just like, you know, we were, especially like celebrities and rappers and all that stuff, they're too exposed nowadays mm-hmm. to where, the, you know, a lot of times there's not a lot of them that try to maintain like a certain mystique, you know? Yeah. Like, a, like, like an, I said, devil worship has, or like just satanic and dark imagery has become commonplace in like oh, yeah. mainstream hip hop now SoundCloud oh, yeah, totally. and Trap and I mean think about the the most recent uh, Lil Nas X video where he's grinding yeah. on the devil I mean I'm, yeah, yeah it's like, become like a mainstream aesthetic yeah. in, in like in like modern rap yeah but back then it was not go on then I'm sorry no 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 and uh, I was just saying that this like uh, it, it just it, in a way it makes me sad because I'm like you know it, it doesn't feel like like uh you know, a scene could gain this, like, kind of mystique and kind of, like, you know, kind of mystery to it, mm-hmm. you know, and nowadays, it, this feels like something that could only exist before the internet. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I find that really cool. Uh, I like the, um, you know, I don't know, that's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, it's interesting. Hmm. Who knows? Maybe they did murder. <laughs> Maybe they and they imbued it. the energy yep. of the our view if you uh know about the energy that's released in sex magic is considered argon energy right and uh, same energy is considered to be released is, is upon it gorgon? I, thought, I thought it was orgon energy i thought it was gorgon gorgon energy or, i don't know i don't know the exact <laughs> pronunciation but that energy is considered one of the most powerful energies right. it also is released upon death oh. and so that during their rituals they would commit a murder or a sacrifice and they would have the eight tracks like laid out in a pentagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they would commit the murder, imbue the eight track with this organ energy from the murder and then proceed to and record the whole thing and then proceed to rap over it and mix it in with like their spooky tones. You know, I'll play you some of it afterwards. Okay. Like it's a very like it is a very it's lo-fi, which is it's really cool. It's mm-hmm. lo-fi, but it's like very spooky. Like, kind of like hard to describe it almost like halloween sounding i'm almost i'm almost certain i know what you're talking about um uh yeah so i don't know i i just think it's a uh 
it's a it's a really cool scene. I learned about it. I'm into it now. If you're into if you're a fan of hip hop, um, check out some of this stuff. Just go on YouTube and type in Memphis hip hop from the '90s underground hip hop. There's a lot of cool right. artists. It's a very unique genre. Um, and something that uh you know isn't wasn't common in hip hop for a while. Um, and you know is 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 perhaps communing with some dark forces and, and you can get down and dirty with that who knows um, <laughs> man that's a that's a crazy that's a that's a crazy i didn't know th- i didn't know about that at yeah. all um you know and it makes me interested in not just the the music coming out of memphis from this time but also memphis in general because the city itself plays it's a big haunted. role in yeah. creating this this occultism yeah. there well like i told you i definitely believe that you know, an area charged with so much like, you know, spiritual resonance or mm-hmm. what would you call it? Psychic resonance. Psychic resonance. Um, you know, uh, I definitely believe that, you know, certain areas get charged with a certain energy and, oh man, I sound like such a dildo saying that, <laughs> but you know, like if a lot of bad things happen, like, you know, like if you went to a concentration camp, I'm sure it, that place even with you know even without like your knowledge of what went on there it would still have an energy like like it's like almost like a nuke went off there it's like yeah a, it's like why a lot of places like hospitals and prisons that are abandoned right. are considered haunted like right. so much energy so much death and unhappiness and right. suffering and so much happened there that it left like a psychic imprint in the area yeah. that so leaves it with this you know force of that's some kind of cool but nowadays something like this would just be a marketing uh marketing tactic yeah well i, w- I want to hear your opinion like i mentioned about how that this was like a response to the environment do you do you agree with that or like what do you think oh, about yeah, no, that totally. like, it's, was it's, this it's, do you it's, think this was purely just an aesthetic and if so like no, why is that there I, I think i think it was kind of like an attempt at like a countercultural type mm-hmm. thing you know what i mean create something that would get people kind of like all up in a tizzy you just you just say it's real and you know then you'll get the super reactionary folk who'll be like oh my god they're they're promoting the devil oh gosh you know you know Mm -hmm. whatever over in memphis tennessee um and i think it's also just like you know uh there's an aspect to it that if they live in a scary area that you know that their music would be a reflection of that mm-hmm. it, you know they feel like they live in like a horror movie that's why it's like yeah, kind of called exactly. horror crew yeah. is that their life is a horror movie you know there's just danger and you know violence and you know drug uh drug addiction and you know um it's just uh i i definitely uh, I th- and for such an era esoteric scene, yeah, their influence yeah, totally. has bled into yeah. a lot of different corners, whether it's ICP to, you know, your ghost mains or XXXs right. today. Right. You know. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I like it as a, um, kind of like, you know, like I said, like a countercultural type, uh, thing. I mean, cause rap, you know, in the mid '90s, was somewhat popular, right? Mm. But it hasn't it hadn't reached critical mass like it has nowadays. Yeah. Um, so it was still kind of a niche genre, but to like have such like kind of like a niche um, subgroup within hi- the greater hip hop that's like you know like 
you know, uh, filled with like menacing tones, but like, not like in a, like, Oh, I'm going to murder you. It's more so like, it's just more so like, no, this is a horror movie and you, you better watch out. Mm-hmm. Three, six mafia is coming. Oh, they definitely you. said they were going to murder you. All these guys. did. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they talked but, about but murdering bodies. It wasn't in like a, it wasn't like in a, like a, like a gangster type way. Yeah, no, more, this was like, that's what I find interesting. If like the music that was coming out of other various cities, right. be it New York or California, whatever, you know, it was like gangster rap, so they were like, "Yeah, it was like murdering you in a gangster way, right?" And like, you know, in like a hustle way. No, this way. is like murder this you like, so that I can fulfill yeah, a satanic like, ritual. Yeah, there was like a more psychotic, yeah. more psychotic, more yeah maniac. And that's more, and type. honestly, in my opinion, that's more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's more interesting than what you get nowadays. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's really cool. Um, I'm definitely gonna, I'm gonna probably go back and listen to some of those groups. Original three six. The place to start with this is um, three six mafias a debut album at the time. They would have been triple six mafia, Mystic Styles, and then okay. you just do some YouTube browsing. You know what? You know what uh, look up j- those tapes I, I mentioned earlier. If you're more interested in the subject, too, check out a documentary called Welcome to Hell mm. about the uh, Memphis rap scene of the '90s. Nice. <laughs> And uh, if you want, like, kind of, like, a good representation of, like, modern that, yeah, Ghost Main, sure. Sometimes... Uh, but they're all mainstream and have mainstream appeal. Right. Like, this is- what I would probably go for is someone like a clipping. Like I said, there's a song called uh, Nothing Is Safe. Mm-hmm. Check that out. It's um, very horrorcore inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, who knew? Who I don't know. Who knew that the devil would be living in Memphis in, Memphis in the 90s? Yeah. <laughs> I know the devil went down to Georgia, but I didn't know that he stopped <laughs> he, over in Memphis. He, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, shit, man. That was a, that was some interesting shit, Zach. Thank you. I was hoping it was. I loved I was having a blast researching oh, this yeah. one, and I found a new genre that I'm fascinated by, and I'm planning to get into more, and a new, and a, learned a little bit about a city yeah. that I just thought was like some bland, you know, southern city yeah, that know. turns out it has a lot of hoodoo and, and, and occultic and kind of weird stuff going on in there. Watch out, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, this is a good episode, Zach. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. And uh, we'll check you guys next week. We're out of here. Thank Peace. you for listening. Nigga, I love things, ain't got no feelings when I'm killing clockers, best.